From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, with Vermonters living under new guidelines about physical distancing and wearing masks, state agencies and even news outlets like VT Digger have seen an uptick in complaints about people who aren't following the rules. And while we can't do much to address those complaints, researchers say there's a reason people feel an impulse to tell on each other in trying times. Hi, is this Yen? Hello. It is. Hi, Colin. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Uh, I'm all right, I guess. Our editor, Colin Mine, has been talking to people who've complained to VT Digger about why they spoke up. We've really tried to stress, you know, since we sort of shifted to covering the coronavirus, you know, more than two months ago now, to creating opportunities for people to reach out to us with their own stories and their own anecdotes and their own questions. And one thing that's really filling up our inboxes, both as an organization and personally, is people wanting to know what to do about neighbors, uh, what to do about local companies, what to do about people at the drive through and, and just everywhere that you're seeing people not complying with the latest advice uh, coming from the federal government and from uh, Vermont's Governor Phil Scott. We've gone to a couple of supermarkets. I stay in the truck because I'm vulnerable. I'm in that category of pre-existing other shit. Jens von Bulau was uh, one of the folks who wrote in to us, and he wrote in to us on April 27th about a trip that he took to the Walmart in Williston that had him very worried. Well, we went there to get stuff that we couldn't get somewhere else, I suppose. And taking the right precautions, we figured that was that was okay to do. And said that, you know, there were lots of folks who were not wearing masks, despite the fact that uh, Vermont had officially advised people to do so at this point. I watched most people, and not 51%, but probably 60 or 75% of the people going into the store were not wearing masks, were not taking precautions. My wife saw that many people inside were you know, congregating, not observing any distance, and not wearing masks. It was a fairly short email, you know, a few sentences just saying that we had this experience, and then he said we won't be going back to Walmart anytime soon. Just to not understanding the problem. The problem is to try to protect each other. And that's the social, I'm not going to call it dilemma, but it's it's a social reality that, that people are in the in the mind to help the situation or they're not going to be because they don't give a crap about other people. And on top of that, they don't understand the situation. They don't understand the severity. If we comply now and just do the right thing by protecting each other, I think Vermonters are uniquely intelligent enough to understand what they need to do to get through this thing, to lessen the impact and to shorten the impact so that we recover as a statewide community that much quicker. After your trip to Walmart, I'm curious why, you know, why write to VT Digger? Why not write to, like, the Williston police? Or what, what was sort of your thinking and why this is something worth raising at all? And what were your thoughts on where to go with that information? Well, I thought about going to Walmart, and then I, and I just didn't. <laughs> I just wanted to vent, I suppose. 
you know, we got into just what exactly motivated him uh, when he had this experience to decide that he had to reach out. He said that he thought about maybe going to Walmart, but realized that that would be a waste of his breath so that he wanted uh, an opportunity to vent, basically. And that's what he did. And, you know, there's not a whole lot that we can really do with those tips. I mean, we're not going to name and shame people on VT Digger, but it certainly seemed like, you know, something of a social phenomenon that's happening right now where we're just getting so many people who are sort of shaming and tattling on their neighbors um, for good reason oftentimes because they're worried about the uh, sort of public health impact of it. But I just wanted to find out sort of what's really driving people uh, to do this, to reach out to us. We're hearing that they're reaching out to various government agencies and sort of whoever's available to listen with their concerns uh, and, and sort of calling out neighbors for not uh, following the advice in the way that they think is appropriate. I mean, it's kind of a big theoretical question of why people feel the impulse to do this. How do you go about tackling that? Yeah, so I talked to this uh, UVM professor named Liz Pinnell, who uh, studies social psychology. And um, she told me about this really interesting theory called terror management theory, uh, which is something that I hadn't come across before, but has been written fairly widely about. And the general idea sort of is that humans are in this constant situation where we're both innately driven to survive or not to die. Um, but at the same time, we are constantly aware of our death. And when we become more aware of our death, uh, such as a time when there's a, a virus or when perhaps fears are stoked by politicians or for personal reasons we become aware of death that we sort of turn to coping mechanisms or she described it as sort of building up a dam in your own consciousness uh, that prevents this terrible fear of death from sort of overwhelming you. And the way you build up that dam is you follow, in some cases it can be religion, but you look for sort of guidelines that are going to help you sort of extend your own life and perhaps last beyond your own life. The theory states that people, like all other animals, have this desire to self-preserve. Uh, but unlike other animals, they know that they're going to die. <laughs> they yeah. know that this desire to self-preserve is ultimately going to um, be futile in the end, this can cause uh, paralyzing existential terror. And so we need to make ourselves cope, right? So essentially, we develop culture. We develop standards for behaving. And we follow those standards. Basically, we decide what it means to do the right thing, what it means to be a person of value. And we try to abide by those guidelines those standards for behavior. And doing them makes us feel better. It makes us feel like people care about us. It makes us feel like they will remember us when we pass, ultimately. And it makes us feel like we're, we're protected from the fear that we could die at any moment. In the coronavirus context, this leads people to reach for ways that they can act in a sort of code for how they can behave that will help them survive, really, basically, um, and that they really stick when, when you're in this type of um, sort of desperate situation. Not only do you look for ways to behave yourself that are going to help you survive, but that you become more likely to sort of call out others who aren't behaving that way and to sort of try to force compliance outside your own self and your own family. And so a lot of terror management research focuses on what happens when you make people think about their own mortality and how tightly do they cling to their beliefs about how should live a good life. And the research consistently shows that when you write about your own death or 
they use other manipulations to make you think about your own mortality. But when your mortality is salient in this way, you derogate people who do not abide by your cultural worldview. That's so interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, and this is an incredibly robust finding. I do think that that has a lot to do with what you are asking me about because we're we're living in a time when mortality is incredibly salient for people. And um, this is a time when, for many people, the way to live our lives is to be socially distant. This is what we need to do to be good members of our worldview. And people who aren't doing that are challenging our belief system. And they are sort of laughing at it. And it, and that makes us feel more vulnerable. So the same way that somebody would look to religion for sort of a, a system of rules to follow in their day-to-day lives, something like wearing a face mask during the coronavirus outbreak is sort of a, a small version of that. Yeah, I think that's the comparison that she was drawing and that, you know, if you're a political figure that you're very well positioned in these types of situations, both to call attention to the fear of death and, and then to sort of, you know, use that as a way to not necessarily use that, but that it becomes an opportunity to present um, a sort of virtuous and right way to behave uh, that people will then be more likely to follow, or at least most people, obviously there are examples of that not happening. And that's, that's another sort of thing that we want to explore is, you know, both why do people follow the rules and call out others who aren't? And then why is there this other subgroup that uh, doesn't seem so inclined to follow the rules? We'll be right back. Just a quick message from our underwriters. Whether you're on the move or on the couch, Northfield Savings Bank gives you everything you need to bank your way. From people you can talk to in a branch right down the street to complete, convenient online services right at your fingertips, Northfield Savings Bank is there to support you and fit the way you live your life. It's just another way Northfield Savings Bank continues to be the bank for builders, makers, doers like you. Find out more at nsbvt.com. Colin, tell me about how this impulse that people have to call out their neighbors for not following guidelines has led to a debate among how much the state is or isn't enforcing these policies. Yeah, I mean, like you said, we've asked the governor this question point blank. You know, Andrew Cuomo in New York, he he has instituted a mask order, so you have to wear masks in public places and uh, you risk being fined if you don't. The Scott administration has talked about, on one hand, uh, that these are measures that are really, really important for people both to protect themselves and protect others and save lives. Um, And then on the other hand, they, they don't want to make it an order. They don't want to have it be enforceable, whether that be through fines or tickets or this sort of thing. Um, and, and Phil Scott has insisted that his current uh, policy of education and encouragement, people can file complaints with the Department of Public Safety, um, that sort of thing, and they will follow up with uh, entities whose employees are not following these guidelines and that sort of thing. But he's really studiously avoided anything like a sort of ticket or fine and says that the last thing that Vermonters need right now is to be sort of further burdened by these sort of uh, measures. I've always uh, promoted the idea of more carrots, less sticks. Uh, I think more education, uh, more adoption leads to more compliance. I I think we've seen that here in the state. We're one of the, I think, leading states uh, for compliance. 
and we haven't had to do a lot of enforcement not because people have done the right thing even begrudgingly done the right thing they may not be happy about it but they've done it and the debate really lies in, you know, there are people who feel very strongly that if the governor were to order this behavior and were to punish people who didn't follow it, that that would be a much more effective way of ensuring compliance in the short term and that people are not going to follow advice. Certainly, uh, most people, the majority of people may follow advice, but if you really want to get that last section of society to start wearing masks, uh, to keep a distance, um, and that sort of thing, that it's going to require some teeth behind these orders. Uh, and Scott's not interested. You talked to one woman who was one of the people who had originally written to us about seeing neighbors not wearing masks and that sort of thing. What was her reasoning behind reaching out to us about this? And uh, what did she have to say about this question of whether or not these orders should be more enforceable? Yeah, so this woman's name was Faye Hilliker, and she uh, was a career nurse who just retired a few months ago, but talked a lot about her own experience in sort of public health and medicine and how she had observed both personally uh, in hospitals the need to wear masks around sick patients and just how that's very basic sort of advice on how not to spread diseases. Um, she pointed to some academic studies uh, in, in places in Africa and so forth where they found that sick people who uh, wear masks predictably spread disease a lot less. And she said that she just sees absolutely no reason why Governor Phil Scott, in order to encourage or force further compliance, wouldn't make this an order. The thing is, it's such an easy thing to do. And if you can protect each other, why not? You know, she talked about a trip to Wendy's up in Newport where the people weren't wearing masks and that really frustrated her. And she reached out to Wendy's and they said, well, they don't have to. But, you know, she talked more generally just looking around her and said that when she hears the governor and the health commissioner talk about how everyone's complying, that just doesn't really mesh with the reality that she's seeing around her and that she sees about 50 percent of people up in the Northeast Kingdom uh, wearing masks and following proper social distancing protocols. The majority of people up here in my area are out and about when they are. They're not as much as they were, but when they are, even in the grocery stores, only maybe half, if any. I haven't even been in the grocery store because I have some comorbidities, so my niece does my shopping for me. But yeah. she said, okay, you can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, Burlington's a different place. Montpelier is a different place. Go out, the governor thought, and just take a little ride around the rest of the state. She really pushed back on this idea that an order isn't necessary and said that it's absolutely necessary. And not only that, that all of her experience in sort of uh, hospitals and healthcare made her believe that this would be effective as well. Honestly, sometimes I feel like I'm on Mars. All they need to do is go to an ICU. Look at the people. If they could just understand, I've had people die in my arms. Not from COVID, but it doesn't matter. When somebody dies unnecessarily you live with that for the rest of your life i see every face if i sit here and think i can see every single face that, that died with me in attendance people don't understand if you don't see it you don't feel it you don't get it and you, you pretend that it's a hoax after hearing all this from all these different people do you feel like you came away with a better understanding of why we're getting all these messages, why we're getting all these comments and emails about what people's neighbors and people they see on the street are doing. 
Yeah, well, I think a big part of it has to do with that there's no obvious place to go with these complaints. So you sort of see them spread out over a number of different organizations. I mean, I know, um, you know, our colleagues over at Seven Days did something on the complaints that are filed with the Department of Public Safety, which, of course, you know, are followed up on they're followed up on with education, right? People reach out, they might send a form letter or something calling on businesses or individuals to follow the proper protocols. I know Dr. Levine at the health department has also talked about they have an influx of these types of tips or complaints as well, and there's not a whole lot they can do with them either. So it's this weird situation where there are rules, but there's not necessarily an enforcement mechanism for those rules. Um, The comparison has often been secondhand smoke, right? That you have... Um, this thing that you're not allowed to do, it mostly hurts you, but it also hurts other people. So you're not allowed to do it in per- certain public spaces. Um, of course, you know, in, in that type of scenario, restaurants might enforce it. If people still didn't follow it, then you could call police to enforce it. Um, but for wearing masks, you know, it's just advice. So there's no one to really call to say, this person's not following the rules. So they come to us and, you know, after a few weeks of these tips, me and you meet up and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, at least according to what Liz, the UVM professor said, that the people doing this almost can't help it. If it's really this sort of self-preservation impulse, then it's almost kind of inevitable, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, how those impulses manifest certainly is, you know, happens in different ways. I'm sure that many companies are getting lots of complaints. And, you know, I would imagine that what we're seeing is just a small sampling of sort of the amount of uh, frustration and, and sort of tattling that's going on out there. But yeah, I think you're right that this is part and parcel of how we respond to these situations more generally and our desire to be, you know, some way or another that we are actively involved in both an individual and a collective effort to follow the rules that are going to help us and others survive. And um, that this is sort of a little piece of how that's playing out. It's a good reminder that even though when you talk about it as tattling, you know, the whole thing takes on a kind of a negative connotation, but it's a good reminder that people often have good intentions in doing this. You know, they are doing this and trying to look out for public health and the public good. Yeah, and I think that that's one thing that really sort of changed in my mind from starting, uh, certainly talking to Liz at UVM is in, in normal circumstances, we are not, you know, it's not encouraged or looked positively upon to be a rat (laughs) or to be a tattletale um, or to be a scold even, you know, that these are things that uh, we generally try to avoid, but that when, you know, our sort of thinking about our our own mortality changes, um, that, you know, that sort of flips a switch and really makes us prioritize our own compliance and the compliance of others around us in a way that we wouldn't during normal times and for reasons that we wouldn't during normal times. You know, I don't think that these are people who are trying to get their neighbors in trouble. These are people who are looking for things to do that can help us all stay safe. And therefore, that really justifies some of this rather unordinary behavior. Got it. Thanks, Colin. Hey, thanks so much, Mike. You can find Colin's full story on neighbor shaming at vtdigger.org and find all of our coronavirus coverage in one place at vtdigger.org coronavirus. And please keep sending us your stories and tips. Even if we can't address each of them, it's always valuable for us to know what you're seeing and experiencing during this crisis. We even have a special email address set up for this. It's coronavirus at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, 
a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger newsroom. Have a nice weekend. <laughs>